the house of God. We're launching our summer series. I wonder if we could just take it down a notch, just the volume, that would be great. We're just launching our summer series um, called Stories That Live, and in a moment there'll be a slide that will come on the screen. And uh, over the course of the next five or six weeks, there are going to be a variety of speakers who are going to endeavor to tell their story and then apply some biblical principle to it. There's a verse in the Bible in Mark in chapter 4 and verse 2. And the NIV uses the word parable, but the English revised version uses the word stories. And it says there that Jesus used stories to teach them many things. So if Jesus used stories, then I think we are able to use stories to teach principles in the 21st century. So if it's your first time amongst us, what I want to try and do this morning is take a story that happened to me and then apply it in terms of biblically principles that will just help you in your life. I want to say, just as an introduction to the series, the reason why we wanted to do this stories that live is because stories are very, very powerful. Wouldn't you agree? in this briefcase was very, for me, was extremely exciting. And over the last 21 years, I've never forgot it. And actually, there are three principles that I want to draw out of my story that I'm about to tell you. There are stories that I could have related very closely, like up to date. But it was this one that I was just praying about. I just felt the Lord just drop it into my heart. And the journey starts for me as Caroline and I were newlyweds. We hadn't... um, we, we hadn't got any children, of course, because we were newlyweds, and we were serving God in a, in a church in Milton Keynes. Uh, the, the official title was, I was a junior pastor, which basically did mean, Olivia, that I was making the teas and the coffees and doing all the copying. Not quite, but there was a lot of practical things that was placed upon us. The other thing to note about this particular part of our life is 
that I had a real sense of God's call on my life. Really wanted to serve God. Really wanted to please Him. Still do. And so in that context, at 20 years old, I was just, we'd just got married. And uh, we'd, um, we'd started this role in the church. But the bottom line is, as you can imagine, just the word junior means that you don't earn much. And the cost of living, even then in Milton Keynes, was very expensive. Very, very expensive. My salary, which wasn't a lot, and I'm not about to divulge what it was, but I can tell you it wasn't a lot, I couldn't even cover the mortgage off my salary. Because I didn't, I didn't have enough money, actually, to buy the house. We had to do shared ownership, which you buy a percentage, and then you rented the rest. And that was the cheapest form of us getting into housing. And so my, my salary didn't cover that. Caroline was working in the nursery in Milton Keynes, which, again, wasn't high-valued stuff. But I, just, I say that because we thank God for the journey. We learn to appreciate money. We learn to appreciate the goodness of God over our lives now. Some people can look on and think, well, that's just landed in the laps. Never landed in my lap. I've had to work for everything. I've had to trust God for everything. We have. And, uh, and we'll continue to do that. And so, whilst we were in Milton Keynes, wanting to serve God, trusting Him, things begun to open up over that one or two years where there was a little bit more travel that was involved for me. And one thing about me is I like nice things. There's no problem with that. I don't want any comments, but I like to look presentable. We found our presentability, actually, again, through charity shops. We used to shop in charity shops. I know it's very in fashion now. Jonathan's built his business on on that kind of thing, and it's a great business. My girls keep telling me, oh, Jonathan's got this great business. Wonderful. It's very, very in now, but then it wasn't. There was a bit of a stigma attached to shopping in charity shops, and we used to shop in charity shops and we used to, I remember a suit that I particularly bought and wore. It was a cream suit, and it was from the charity shop. They really say, that's a really smart uh, suit. Where did you get it from? Oh, just a local shop. That's what I used to say, because I didn't want them knowing where I'd bought it from. And that was the context in which, in which we were working and functioning. As I said, I thank God for it. But I'd begun to do a little bit of travel, and I remember having a briefcase that I'd had, actually, since I started my job in the bank. It was a very thin black briefcase. In fact, we still have it. Eleanor wanted, and it would be very vintage, and you're not having it because you get a few quid for it, Jonathan. But it just reminds me of where I, what, I, what I started with. It's this very thin black briefcase. Some of you might still have them. It's, it's now in my loft. And that wasn't becoming big enough because obviously I was becoming a pastor, so I carried a Bible that was like this big, and you remember those, and notes and everything else. And I started, as I say, to do a little bit of travel. And what I wanted to do even then was travel light. So I didn't like taking a briefcase and then a suitcase and everything else and toiletries. So I remember looking and I remember seeing a briefcase in a shop that would have done exactly what I needed it to do. At that time, it was this classy briefcase. It was just beautiful. It was brown. It had a a compartment inside. And I'll show you in a moment it had where you could put all your clothes and then all your notes. It was just a beautiful, beautiful leather, exactly the color I wanted briefcase. The only downside to it was it was 100 pounds. That was 20 years ago. So you can imagine what sort of cost to it. Well, there was no way on earth we could afford a briefcase like that. 
And there wasn't a moping, there wasn't a moaning, there wasn't a grumbling, there wasn't anything like that at all. All I determined to do was say, okay, God, that's the kind of briefcase. I didn't even pray about it. I didn't do anything. Genuinely, I didn't do anything about it. But I remember one August bank holiday of that year after seeing this briefcase. And just to add, there was only one shop that I saw it in. So it wasn't like a mass producer. It was just this one shop that I'd saw it in. One August bank holiday, we were going to a fun day. I don't even know why we were there. We were on the field. There were lots of fairgrounds and all kinds of things happening. You know the kind of fun days that there are, bouncy castles and hot dogs and beef burgers and all that kind of stuff. And then there was also a car boot sale as well. Well, so I always like a bargain. You blokes are the same. Always like a bargain as we walk around the car boots. I spotted from just a slight distance a briefcase that looked just like the one that I'd seen. I quickly, I don't know whether you can remember it, Caroline. I quickly, she's shaking her head as though it didn't happen. I want to tell you, it did happen. She, I quickly went to the, the stall, and I remember it wasn't some dodgy, unreputable dealer who just got mass slot and he were bugging them out. It was a husband and wife team, and there it was. This briefcase that I'd seen in the shop in mint condition. Mint condition. So as I began to just have a look at it and open it up, because of course then they didn't put uh, prices on them, but basically I started to just have a look and check out that it was all working, the combinations worked fine. And it just opened up like that, you see. So I was able to put stuff there and there. It was just terrific. It's all battered and old now. And I began to think it would be wonderful to have this briefcase. And I said to the person who was selling it, how much do you want for your briefcase? And they said, give us a fiver. I didn't even haggle. (laughs) Don't shake your head at me, guys. I'd just seen a briefcase that was £100 that I hadn't even prayed about, but I would have liked and actually needed Now, five pounds, not new, but mint condition. I still have that briefcase 20 years later. But there were three things that happened to me 20 years ago that I've worked through my life and ministry now over that period of time. And three things that I learned, and they're very simple. And so if it's your first time here this morning, I want you to listen to me very carefully. Equally, if you have been a Christian for many, many years, I want you to listen to me very carefully. Because if you will hear these principles, divine principles, remember Jesus took parables and used them. If you will hear this story and you will take hold of these principles, then I believe they will help you. Before I get to them, Psalm 78 verse 1 says this, O my people, listen to my instructions Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a story. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power 
and his mighty wonders. Listen, the next generation, I'm just about to pass on three principles to you that if you will embrace, they're from our lives, then they will stand you in good good stead and you will succeed. You won't always have brilliant highs all the time, but you will press through and break through into something good. So you're listening to me, next generation, and the generations who are of my age and beyond. Number one, and I'm going to write them on the board so you can understand them, and I'm sorry for those over here, but this is the first principle. What does he say? Say it again. One last time all together. That's the first thing I realized from this story. You may say, Christian, it's just a briefcase. Yeah, it was. But God knew that I would have liked this briefcase. More importantly, God knew that I needed this briefcase. And also, God understood that we didn't have the money for the briefcase. But God was so looking after me that he positioned for a man or a woman to buy a briefcase a few weeks that they then didn't want, and then they put on a car boot sale. Some may say coincidence. I say it's God being interested in every aspect of my life. You see, I used to think that God has favorites. Anybody else think like that? Be honest. God has favorites. It all happens for them. It all works out for them. It's all blessed for them. Look at what's happening to them. It's all good. But look at me. I used to think like that, that God has favorites. I used to also think that God was too busy fixing the world that why would he be interested in me? I'm just a number. I'm just a number. I'm just another number. I'm just another mouth to feed. I'm just for another person on planet Earth. That's how I used to think, even when I was a believer. I used to think, why would I bother God with things like this? Why would he be interested in the simple things of my life? He's got bigger things to be sorting out than worrying about my job. He's got bigger things to be worried about than worrying about how I'm going to pay the gas and electricity. He's got bigger things to worry about. He's fixing presidents and countries and kings and queens. Why would he be interested in me? Why would he be interested in my exam results? Why would he be interested in what I want to do in my life? He's God. He's out there and I'm here and I'm small and insignificant. But God is interested in every aspect of my life. Principle number one from this briefcase. I realized that God was wanting to tell me over these next 20 years that have stood me in good stead, Christian, if I can supply a briefcase, I can supply whatever you need. Whatever you need, not want, whatever you need, I can meet, I can provide for you. It was a principle that has just so impacted me. You see, you need to understand that God's eye is on you. His, his eye is on you. Now, again, we can sometimes think that God's eye is on us because we're doing bad things. But God's eye is on you because he loves you. 
I was at the sports day with Isaac and Lilia. You know what Isaac's like for those who know him. He's all bustle and just like his dad, just all full of, you know, pushing, shoving, thrashing around and all the rest of it. But Lilia, my Lilia, she's so sweet. She's our blessing from heaven. And as I watched Isaac and even wanted to make sure that dad was watching him at the sports day, which it was, but Lilia quietly just got on with things. But I want to tell you, my eye was on my little girl. I watched everything she was doing. And it's the same with us. God's eye is on you because God is interested in every aspect of your life. And we know it here. We know it theologically from the Bible, but we don't embrace that truth that God is wanting to be involved in every aspect of our life. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29 says this. And it was out of the context that Jesus was speaking out of persecution that was going to come to the disciples. He released them into their mandate. That's where it came from. He says you're going to be, brothers are going to take up swords and you know, people are going to disown this and you're going to be flogged before city councils and all kinds of things. So it wasn't a nice thing that Jesus was saying. And then he encouraged them in Matthew chapter 10 because he says this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Who's basically saying sparrows are worthless, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. I'm in a privileged position and I pray that I will be like my dad, who's here, that at 67 I'll still have a full head of hair. I've got a whacking head of hair. There's no receding going on and by God's grace there won't be. There's a bit of gray that's going in there and my dad's the same. He's got a full head of hair. His dad was the same. You know, so I pray that generationally it's going to be passed, that anointing is going to pass on to me in Jesus' name. And I'm telling you, if you go to the hairdressers with me, you could create a wig out of what's cut out my hair. It's so thick and so wiry and all the rest of it. So I look at my hair and I think, how is it possible? It's impossible to number the heads upon my hair. It's impossible. Sorry. Heads upon, yeah, my hair upon my head. Hey. Shows you're listening. Well done. And yet Jesus, Jesus said this. Jesus, the words are in red. Jesus said that even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He's wanting to tell us, church, this morning, and I'm laboring it because I don't think we sometimes live in it. God is interested in every aspect of our life. Don't worry about your life. Trust God with your life. 
And I've experienced this verse. That even when things haven't been going well, even when things haven't gone as I've wanted them to be or planned them to be, my confession is God is interested in every aspect of, his, of my life. So if I'm in here, he'll get me out of here. Even if, and I don't think I'm on theological, even if I've made some mistakes, if I repent of those mistakes that I then find myself in, you can't expect if you just walk blase, but I know I've made a mistake and then I repent of my mistake and say, God, work this through, then I believe that God will make a way where there seems to be no way. That's my confession. That's my, that's my experience. Please don't excuse this just before we move on to the second point of this being, this is great news. So God's my sugar daddy? Is that what you're telling me? I can ask him whatever I want? No, I'm not saying that. That's a gospel called prosperity gospel, which I don't assign to. God isn't interested in meeting all your wants. God isn't a sugar daddy that you click and it appears. That isn't the father that I know. The father that I know is very much like me. He's better than me, so please don't think that I'm trying to say I'm like God because I'm not. But how I am with my children. My children, if I can bless them, I want to bless them. But sometimes they want something, I say no. You're not having that. And they can kick and scream and show off all they want, and they do. But I know best. We know best because we're mom and dad. And there's a reason why we're telling them no. One of the problems is kids grow up and they don't have the word no. Hello? So they think that everything's... And then they work into a job. I've got to be there at 9 o'clock. You must be joking. I don't have to go, what's all this work about? Why do we have problems? God isn't a sugar daddy. God is a loving father. And he wants to give things to us, but he will also hold things back from us at certain times. I'd love to unpack that a little bit more, but we haven't got time. The second thing, everybody say the second thing. So have you got that? Second lesson that I learned from this briefcase is this. What's it say there? Let's sing, let's do it again. People are forever living in this world by there's almost like an expectation that it has to happen to us. Because we actually think that we're the center of the universe. So these are the tensions. God is interested in every aspect of our life. But as I've said, that doesn't mean to say that he'll always give everything that we require and request in the immediacy that we need it. But one thing that I learned, learned actually going back to the story, and it still continued through, is that we knew very early on that we needed to honor God with what we'd been given and what we were. And actually, I didn't understand this next part because all we'd had drilled into is that you need to honor God. So for us, it wasn't an issue with tithing. We tithe. Because that's what we were told to do. We honor God with our tithe. It wasn't an issue to me when people said, look, you need to come and serve. So like, I remember there was a decorating party that happened in Milton Keynes. 
I didn't know how to decorate particularly well. I remember my experience of decorating at my mum and dad's house at Chester Street in Mansfield. I said to my mum, can I decorate? She said, go and have a go. I tipped the whole emulsion, 10 litre can, all over the carpet and everything as I was trying to get on with it. I don't know whether you can still remember that. That was my first experience of painting. I was never asked again. Uh, and it wasn't why I did it. But it wasn't a problem to me when people said, look, we need some help. I went down and helped. It wasn't a problem. I remember one of my first jobs in the church was on the chair roster because it was a day nursery. It was a day nursery during the Monday to, Monday to Friday. And so all the chairs were packed away. And on Sundays, they all had to be put out. So guess what? We used to go down and put up beyond the chair roster. I don't know whether you can remember, Lee. My brother was here. We used to go down. There was, there was a number of us who used to just go and put the chair. It was just what we did. Because we were taught to honor God. To honor God with our money, to honor God with our time, and to honor God with our resource, and to honor God with our gifts. It's a lesson that needs to be laid in, guys. We're not here to please ourselves. I don't think we are as Christian people. I think we're here to honor God. But this briefcase, I realized that as I honored God, my goodness, I then realized that God honors you. I never saw that before. And one of the most powerful life verses and life lessons that me and Caroline have endeavored to live with is Matthew in chapter 6, verse 33. I don't know whether we can get it on the screen, Gemma. It'd be worthwhile if we can just to leave it there for a moment. But you'll know it very, very well, many of you. And it says there, but seek first. Everybody say first. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and then all these things. What, even briefcases? Well, if I need it, if I need it, not if I want it, then all these things will be added unto you as well. It was a life lesson. As I honor God, then God will honor me. As you honor God, God honors you. There was something that I understood that I need to seek first, God. Let me move very quickly because many of us, I'm just going to be really, really out there. Most of us don't live there. God is not first. God is second or third or fourth. There are people that I meet with, talk to. And as they begin to talk with me about a particular issue, as I analyze it, because that's what they're asking me to do, not counseling, but speaking to it, I quickly realize there's many other layers under this, and one of the layers is that God isn't first. Put God first. Put him right in the center of it all. Seek first. Jesus is telling us such an important principle, and we just run by it, and we expect everything to follow into place because we have a sugar daddy experience of God. And all Jesus says is, again, these are Jesus' words, seek first my kingdom. Seek first. Seek first. Not second, not third, not fourth, not fifth. Seek first. Put me first. Put me first in your life. The number one in my life is Jesus. Then it's Caroline and the children. Then it all intermingles. This church isn't first. God's first. Seek first. Everything else flows out from that. 
And why do we think it's creaking and feels uncomfortable? And even when we have to ask of you for things, it's because God's not first. And you know you get strained. Why did Christian have to say that this morning? I was a bit annoyed by him saying that. It's because God's not first. I'm sorry. It's because God's not first. And I learned to put God first. To put God first. Proverbs 18 verse 17 says, I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. It's interestingly that it says, I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. Again, people want the enduring wealth and prosperity, but they don't want to put God first. You put God first, everything else will follow. And his blessings do extend to a nice briefcase. They do extend to a job. They do expend, extend to that marriage partner, that husband and wife. Can I be bold? Some of you are running around looking for a husband and wife, thinking I'm going to get one here, I'm going to get one there. Seek God first. Seek God first. You may say, Christian, that's easy for you. No, I'd applied it at that young age. Seek God first. Seek God first. Put him first. And then don't worry about what it looks like, because then we think, well, seek God first, and then I'll give God a hand. And if I go to this place, then I'll meet this person. I go here and, and I'll... And it, listen to me. Things never work out like you think. God doesn't need a hand, certainly your hand. He's able to orchestrate your life. And can I say this? Stop trying, start trusting. Stop trying, start trusting. Number three. So I've gone way beyond my time. Are you all okay? It's amazing what you can get from a briefcase, Kevin. Number three. Everybody say number three. They're all interlinked. What does it say? Again? God is in control. The book of Job, that's an interesting reading. I was talking with, I think, uh, Danny, Danny Gunn, and we were talking about the book of Job. It's a strange book in many ways. And it says there, from the very beginning, verse, Job 34, verse 13, from the very beginning, God has been in control of all the world. Let me prick the bubble again. Let me burst the balloon because we live with a thing that I'm in control. You're not in control. God's in control. You may say, well, how can you say that because of all the earthquakes and all the stuff that's happening? I want to tell you, none of those events are allowed to happen unless he says so. He isn't the cause of them. He isn't the instigator of them. There's the evilness of what this world, it's a broken world. It's a broken world. Do, do I weep when I see all that happens in Egypt? Absolutely. Do I, do I weep when I get reports of people being killed and slaughtered? Do I weep when I hear of children being trafficked? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's the evilness of man. It's not a cop-out. That's the evilness of man. God hasn't programmed us to be robots. He hasn't, he's given us free choice and free will. But I want to tell you, ultimately, of this world, God is in control. God is in control. 
And I realized that from this briefcase, because I was amazed, it was the exact same briefcase in exactly the same color as I asked for or that I would have liked. Shows me that God is in control. You may say, come on, Christian. No, it showed me that God is in control. Doesn't mean that everything runs how I expect it to because surely we want a briefcase. So I thought about this. Well, surely the easiest way is somebody gives me a hundred pound. That's how I would have worked it through, wouldn't you? I needed a briefcase. I need a hundred pounds because I can buy it from the shop. And that's logically how we work things through. But God says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. I'll do whatever I want to do because I'm God. And we try and logically think things through. And God says, stop trying to be logical. Just put me in, just put me in charge. And I'll work it through. It doesn't mean, as I say, everything runs how I expect it to. Because we set out with our thoughts and we plan how God should do it. But the guiding verses over the last nine months of my life in the life of Arena Church have been this. Proverbs 16 verse 9. In their hearts a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. I can plan my course out. I can plot it out. We were going to have Westgate in Mansfield. And God says at the final hour, you're not having Westgate. I'm going to give you an even better building in a better location, in better condition for less money. Because you planned your course, Christian. That plan was good because you wanted to, I saw your heart, I saw the purity of your heart and the leader's heart, but actually I'll determine your steps. I've seen it so many times. Our children, when we couldn't have any, God was in control. I moved from Milton Keynes to here. God was in control. We placed him in control. The buildings... Belfield Street, the Arena Community Hub. All that I remember saying to David, Dave, and Lisa, what kind of building you want? Do you want a shop? How do you want to work it? Do you want a factory? Yeah. We need it around the corner. Okay. Thank you. Out you go. Can you remember, Dave? Out you go. Out the building. I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, we need a building. I'm not telling you which building, but we need it so close we can almost spit and hit it from this building, because that's what they've asked for, and they want a factory, and it needs to be in good condition, and it needs to come at this rent. Now, please hear me out here when I said it, and it was almost like, thank you, Jesus, amen, moved on. 20 years ago, I realized that God was in control. So we just commit it to the Lord, and then we leave it with Him. And guess what? We get a building just around the corner, at the rent that we need, in the condition we need, that works wonderfully well. I learned those lessons 20 years ago through a briefcase. It didn't just happen to me. I've learned it over the years to trust God with a, for a briefcase, to trust Him for a house, to trust Him for a car, to now trust Him for multiple pounds of buildings. So I realized that God is not just in control of the briefcase, is in control of the buildings. God is in control of your life. Now you've got to allow him to be in control. You've got to place him first. 
You've got to understand that he's wanting to be involved in every aspect of your life. These are some of the lessons that I've learned (laughs) through a simple briefcase. That hopefully, not hopefully, that will stand Caroline and I and us here in good stead as we move forward to close. So then I realize that actually what my wheeling, wheeling and dealing that got that it wasn't me pushing and shoving that got that. It ultimately got it for me. So we didn't get that building. And we, didn't show, we can't brag off to people about Mansfield. Because we have to say, oh, glory to Jesus. If you won't share your glo- the glory with, 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 you want it for yourself, you're a glory hogger. I'm, I'm sorry it doesn't work like that. God wants to give us things, but he wants to receive all the glory. I wonder if you just bow your heads this morning. Thank you for giving me such great attention. I hope you.